0: Hi everyone, it's Vicki Basiliga from the ASHP section of Clinical Specialists and Scientists.
1: And I'd like you to welcome you to this special episode of Therapeutic Thursdays. Once again, I'm excited to share some of the great clinical content that was a part of the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. Please enjoy this highlight and be sure to check back soon for more features.
0: So we're going to start today with a brief overview of CGM systems. There are two types of CGM systems available. Those owned by the user, which are professional use CGM, and those owned by the health system, or I'm sorry, a personal use CGM, and those owned by the health system or professional use CGM. Both require the insertion of a thin filament under the skin, as you can see here in this picture. It's only about 0. 0.4 millimeters thick and measures the interstitial glucose every one to five minutes, providing anywhere from 288 to 1,440 me- measurements per day, depending on the CGM system. It is important to note that since it's measuring interstitial glucose, measurements may lag five to 15 minutes behind blood glucose, especially during times of rapid change, such as immediately after eating, during or after exercise, or after administering rapid acting insulin. So there are two types of CGM systems for the personal use systems. We have the real-time CGM systems, which continuously transmit glucose data, and we have the intermediately intermittently scan CGM systems, which also continuously transmit glucose data to the receiver. However, it does require scanning of the sensor to view the glucose data. Both systems include trend arrows to prospectively guide treatment decisions. And now with the addition of the Freestyle Libre 2, both of these systems, real-time CGM and the intermittently scanned, include alarms to warn patients of rising and falling glucose levels. So the Freestyle Libre is the intermittently scanned system, and it provides glucose data and projects trends only when the sensor is scanned. So this device must be scanned at least every eight hours, otherwise gaps in glycemic tracing will occur. So that's an important point to counsel your patients on. Both systems do allow data sharing with family members, caregivers, and healthcare professionals. So I've listed here the four personal personal-use systems and three professional use systems that are used most commonly in the US. There's also the Abbott Freestyle Libre 14-day system, which is still available. However, we're moving most of our patients to the Libre 2 system because of the real-time alarms now. So on the left, you can see a picture of each of these. The professional use and the personal use sensors and transmitters look essentially the same. They're just different in use. The Freestyle Libre 2 is in the top left corner and the Libre Pro sensor looks just like the Libre 2 sensor here pictured. You can see it has a quarter size sensor and transmitter, which are combined together, and it's designed to sit on the back of the arm. So usually we tell our patients it looks like a little quarter that sits on the back of their arm. The Medtronic sensor and transmitter are separate. However, the picture of them in the top right corner is combined. The Dexcom system is pictured in the center and it shows the applicator, which places the sensor, the separate transmitter, and then the device where the patient can view the readings. And the EverSense is an implantable sensor, and it's pictured in the bottom right corner. It does require an office visit, and it's considered a medical procedure to have it placed into the skin. The transmitter, which goes over it, is pictured in the center, and in the person wearing it on their arm is on the right. So this just gives you a general idea of what these look like. This slide summarizes the different personal-use CGMs and their component and integration. So the Freestyle Libre is the only personal use system which offers a disposable sensor and transmitter combination product, which makes it the lower cost option for persons with diabetes. The Dexcom G6 Medtronic Guardian and Eversense can be used um, on a smartphone as the receiver. This slide provides an overview of wear time, approved sites, warm up time, calibration, and software. Since the Eversense is an implantable sensor, it only needs to re- be replaced every 90 days. The Dexcom G6 and the Freestyle Libre 2 systems are nice in that they don't need to be calibrated. So looking here, you can just see all the different software approved sites calibrations that you would need if you're starting one of these systems on a patient. The Dexcom G6, the Freestyle Libre 2, and the Eversense systems are approved for medication dosing. So patients can use the CGM readings to make treatment decisions. The Medtronic system should still be confirmed with a finger stick at this time. And all four systems now have alarms to alert patients of highs and lows with the addition of the Libre 2 to the market. One thing I do wanna bring to your attention is the interfering substances because these are important counseling points for our patients. You'll see here the Libre 2 is not as accurate when the patient or person with diabetes takes over 500 milligrams of vitamin C. So this is especially important during cold and flu season now. As we have a lot of patients taking emergency or airborne, and that can actually falsely elevate the readings and cause patients to miss a hypoglycemic event. So they should be counseled to avoid high doses of vitamin C if they're using the system. All the other systems, all the systems, I should say, are approved in children, except for the EverSense system you'll see here is only for adults age 18 or older. So, again, just something to keep in mind as you're choosing a system. Professional use CGM systems are purchased and known by the clinic or practice and are intermittently used by the patient and healthcare team to help facilitate um, basically diabetes treatment decisions and management. Professional use systems can offer either blinded or unblinded data depending on the system. So blinded CGM data is not available to be used by the patient or clinician until it's downloaded in the office. So therefore it doesn't influence behavior in response to alerts or sensor glucose readings so it does provide retrospective data. Professional use CGM requires clinicians to download this data in the office visit, and then you retrospectively review the data and glycemic patterns with the person with diabetes, and you can make clinical decisions regarding the patient's diabetes management. An unblinded CGM system allows patients to see their glucose data in real time and make treatment decisions and behavioral decisions throughout the wear period. Of the available professional use CGMs, Only the Dexcom G6 Pro allows for both blinded and unblinded data collection. And the Freestyle Libre Pro and Medtronic iPro 2 only allow for blinded data collection. As I mentioned on the previous slide, blinded CGM data is not able to be viewed by the patient or clinician until it's downloaded in the office. So for blinded CGM data, the most beneficial way to use it is for the patient should keep a log of their dietary intake, activity, and medication use so that CGM data outliers can be tracked back to individual events. It is important to counsel patients to continue to check their blood sugar at home while wearing a blinded professional use CGM device. The next two slides review the three different professional use CGM systems on the market. So we have the Dexcom G6 Pro and Libre Pro, and they're nice in that they're disposable, so you don't have to worry about disinfecting the transmitter between use and creating additional protocols for disinfecting. The Dexcom G6 Pro is the only one that offers the unblinded mode. However, just be aware that not all smartphones are compatible with the software. So if you're having a hard time setting it up on your patient's phone, you may wanna just check Dexcom's website to ensure that the phone has the most up-to-date operating system to support its use. The wear period, interfering substances, and calibration requirements are similar to personal use systems. For Medtronic, it's interesting because even though it's blinded, the patient still must check their blood glucose readings and record them for calibration and then they can be entered by the patient on the device or by the clinician in the office.
1: So what do all the numbers mean? With CGM, you get a whole lot more information than you get just with blood glucose monitoring. And it really is like a big puzzle. And it's one of the reasons I love diabetes management because there's so many different factors that can contribute to high or low glucose readings. And the great thing about CGM is you just know what more of those pieces to the puzzle are. So this describes 42 factors that affect glucose levels. This is actually from Adam Brown uh, from Diatri, which is a great resource. So there's a lot of different things and they're lumped into different categories like food. But within food, we know carbohydrates generally will cause someone's glucose levels to rise but there can be other factors that affect it too, such as the amount of fat and protein often has a delayed rise in those glucose levels. There are some interesting factors like caffeine, for example. So a cup of black coffee with no cream, no sugar, can cause some people's glucose levels to rise. Other people have no effect, but to really learn how that unique individual You know, is affected, that's where CGM is really so useful to see that. And you'll notice on here, there's a ton of other variables too. Of course, we expect most medications certainly used to treat diabetes are going to lower it, but some can cause it to go higher, like steroids. And then even activity levels for many people that will cause it to go down. But depending on someone's level of fitness, or if it's really high intensity activity, that can cause it to actually go up. And so these things are really helpful to kind of fill in that puzzle and figure out how to adjust therapy to help a person achieve their glycemic targets. So I want to introduce a new concept called time in range. And this describes the time spent between 70 and 180. And so why, you know, where do those numbers come from? Well, it really goes back to the guidelines to, you know, if you look at the American Diabetes Association standards of care, the recommendation for fasting and preprandial glucose is to stay between 80 and 130. The recommendation for peak postprandial, so this would be one to two hours after the start of the meal, is to keep glucose levels under 180. And then the definition of hypoglycemia is a glucose under 70. So, taking all of this into consideration, that target range is 70, because we're trying to avoid hypoglycemia, all the way up to 180. And we're trying to maximize the amount of time spent in this range while limiting hypoglycemia and hyperglycemia. Um, Also, what you will notice here is that we are trying to, the time and range is in addition to the glucose targets. So this doesn't necessarily replace those fasting and preprandial goals, but we're trying to also achieve those in addition to this new metric of time and range. So, in addition to time and range, we have other key metrics as well. So, we're looking at a new concept called data sufficiency. And what that means is we are striving to have at least 14 days of data with 70% of the time the CGM is active during that. And so, what are reasons the CGM wouldn't be active? Well, that could be, you know, if a person is, you know, further away from their receiver or reader and it's not picking up that signal. If a person is using an intermittently scanned device if they are uh, not scanning every eight hours. That could lead to data gaps. So we're aiming for that 70% over 14 days. And the idea is if you have all that data, then these other metrics like time and range, uh, the mean glucose, are going to be more. So We have also glucose management indicator, and that is an estimated A1C. And in fact, it used to be called estimated A1C, and then the FDA didn't like that. They thought it was too similar to uh, actual A1C. But this is very helpful to assess glycemic management, especially if more than, um, you know, you want to assess someone's, you know, glucose if they're meeting targets. And we know in A1C, you've got to wait at least three months typically to recheck that. So that's a great way to assess the, the management. And then there's another important metric called coefficient of variation. And this assesses the glycemic variability. So you're aiming to have a coefficient of variation under 36%. This means that glucose levels are more stable. If you're wondering what the actual formula is, it's the standard deviation divided by the mean glucose. And so keep in mind, you're trying to aim for that under 36%. And then going back to time and range, I just want to orient you to, we're also looking at that time above range, which is time above 180, and then time below range, which is time below 70. And you can see it's even split up into level one and level two. So we have our ambulatory glucose profile, and this is a great visualization of looking at that CGM data. And this, depending on the type of report you look at, is either taking the 10th, to the 90th percentile of data. That's what this specific report is looking at. Some reports will take that fifth to the 95th percentile of data. So this is a great way to get a snapshot of someone's glycemic management. That orange line represents the median glucose, and then that darker, that blue shaded area represents the 25th to the 75th. Per interquartile range. And so if the, the range is really wide, that means there's more variability. There's more glycemic variability. This, the AGP is super useful for people that have routines. So if someone eats breakfast, lunch, dinner around the same time every day, you can see really quick patterns. Like in this example, I can tell glucose seems to rise, you know, at 8 a.m. It looks like there may be a postprandial breakfast spike. And then it comes down a little bit, um, and then it seems to rise again later around 4 p.m. and stay a little bit high overnight and then kind of come down again uh, by that morning time. So what are the CGM-based targets? We we talked about it before. We said, well, more is better. Obviously, you want you know to spend as much time as possible in that 70 to 180 range. But the good news is we are not expecting perfection from our patients we are actually aiming for at least 70% time and target range for most people with type one and type two diabetes. Uh, with doing that, we're trying to minimize time spent in hypoglycemia to under 4% and time spent above 180 to less than 25% and less than 5% of the time in that level two hyperglycemia over 250. You might be wondering, well, where did that 70% come from? It actually correlates very well with a 7% A1C, which is you know, the glucose target for for most people with diabetes. Now for older or higher risk people with type one and type two diabetes, we actually are aiming for 50% time in target range. We're really trying to minimize time spent in hypoglycemia to less than 1%. And the 50% correlates very well with an A1C of around 8% which is, you know, a perfectly reasonable goal for higher risk patients. So I find this to be very reassuring. Um, And when I explain it to my patients, I feel like it's, it's reassuring knowing that you're aiming for 70%. You don't have to be perfect to achieve your glycemic targets. Now, I wanna point you out to something important and that's in pregnancy. This is the only time you are gonna adjust that target range. So it should be uniformly set for everybody to 70 to 180, and this is important important because if you change it, let's say you set it for 70 to 130, your metrics are going to be all off. So very important to keep it at that 70 to 180, except during pregnancy. That's the only time you're going to adjust it to 63 to 140. In a type 1 diabetes pregnancy, you're aiming for 70% or more in that range. Um, For type 2 and gestational diabetes, there's not a consensus reached on what is the optimal time and range. Just know more is better, definitely at least 70%. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> This is a full AGP report. So, we already looked at the AGP itself. We talked about those key metrics. This is what a full report would look like. And this is nice because now, um, with the different reports, you can get this all on one page. And that's nice because in the past, we used to have to, you know, you'd, you'd print out like 10 pages and sift through them. And now you can get really everything you need on one page if you want to. So, at the top, you'll notice the key metrics here. We can see that time and target range. I can see the time spent below, the time spent above. The coefficient of variation on this report is 37.4, so that indicates higher glycemic variability because it is over that 36%. We can see that it was worn 95.4% of the time, And at the bottom, you'll notice the last 14 days of data. So what's nice about this is, you know, you see that AGP, but remember that AGP is just showing us that 10th to the 90th percentile. So it could miss some outliers of hypo or hyperglycemia. So you can quickly look at the bottom and see if there was any kind of outlier events all condensed nicely in, in one page. Now, this is another type of system, and this is one where at the top, it reports the key metrics. And I wanted to show you this one because one of the things I like about it is that it has what the targets are on the left side. And then it has the time and range on the right side. So this is actually a LibreView report. The one on the previous side was a Dexcom clarity report, just so you're aware of that. So you can see on here, I look at the top, there's 14 days and 70% of time the CGM was active. So that's just barely meeting our data sufficiency. And then I can see the glucose management indicator, 7.6. So that would be like the estimated A1C. And then the glucose variability is 29. So that would be acceptable glycemic variability. The time and target range is 52% and if I look on the left, you know, I'm really aiming for greater than 70%. So I know that that might be a little lower than desired. The low is only 1%, so that's acceptable, but then it looks like that time spent in the high range is above the desired, you know, time spent above 180 we're we're aiming for less than 25%. This is another one of my actual favorite ways to look at data. This is called a snapshot of hypoglycemia. What I like about it is it really points directly to those hypo events. So what you'll notice at the top is actually it's a different way of looking at an AGP. And in this case, the person's averaging 259. That AGP just looks high. And so if I'm looking at it, I'm like, okay, this person's just high, and we need to address that. But actually, this person experienced eight hypoglycemic events, and you can see they're all occurring between 3 and 6 PM. So that's great because that points me to, hey, I've got to do something. We've got to do something to address that. Um, And so that is a quick way to look at it. The last thing on this report I want to show you too is at the bottom, that sensor usage, you'll know it was only, only 50%. So what that means is we've only seen half the data. It is possible there could even be more hypoglycemia that we've missed. This is a spaghetti graph and this is another way to look at data. This is with all the days on top of each other. So this is seven days, all looking at together. One of the advantages of looking at data this way instead of an AGP or in addition to an AGP is that you see everything. So, again, that AGP is showing you the most common data. This, you would notice some of those outliers. Like if there was, you know, occasional hypoglycemia or hyperglycemia, you'd see the whole thing on this spaghetti graph. And then I also wanted to share this idea of connected data. So this is really exciting. Whenever we can get CGM data um, together with insulin data or insulin pump data, and this this visualization here is actually with a smart pen. And so one of the neat things it shows is on the top here is the long-acting insulin assessment. So typically, you know, when you look at bedtime to morning glucose levels. If a person hasn't, you know, eaten something right before they've gone to bed or given themselves a dose of insulin, you would expect if their basal insulin or their long acting insulin is set correctly, that they're going to stay within 30 points overnight. And so what this is showing is the glucose actually at bedtime is 181. And when the person wakes up, it's 138. So it's actually dropping by 43 points overnight. So that may actually signal that an adjustment is needed. Ideally, you know, you'd have a person maybe go to bed a little bit lower and then wake up you know, within 30 points of their their starting glucose level. And then on the bottom here, what you can see is actually these are mealtime assessments. So typically when a person eats, we expect their glucose is going to rise and you know trying to you know, keep it under 180 is what's most desired. For many people, you know, they'll have a 50-point, you know, spike in their glucose, and then we expect by four to five hours that glucose would go back down to that pre-meal glucose level. So this is a way you can see it. And when I when I look at this specific meal assessment, you can see there's a lot of variability based on the different shades. Um, you know, some days the person's going higher, some days they're going lower, and so I think this would lead to a good discussion about the types of foods eaten, the amount of insulin given. Um, to kind of tailor that to just have a little bit more stability with that pre and post
0: meal levels. Key takeaways from today's presentation. So the choice of the CGM device should be individualized based on cost, accuracy, compatibility, and patient preferences. The professional use CGM does improve outcomes and is a source of revenue generation for pharmacists. And they are affordable and you can basically justify their use in your clinic based on using CPT code 95250. And CGM data provides valuable information to engage in a meaningful discussion with the person with diabetes to come up with an individualized treatment plan.
1: Thanks so much for listening in to today's episode from the 2020 Mid-Year Clinical Meeting. It's features and content like this that make the ASHB Mid-Year Clinical Meeting the place to learn and to take your practice to the next level.
0: Be sure to join us in December for more great clinical content.